Good morning, church family. Good to see you and guests. Thank you for joining us today for worship. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll get that in just a minute. Uh, I do want to remind you a few things, as Grant kind of alluded to. First is next Sunday is Easter. We hope to see you all here. We hope to see friends here. We hope to see family here. Uh, And so in that same vein, I want to encourage you to be a part of what's going on, some stuff here. Uh, I don't know if you know or not, but our vision for the church that God has laid on our heart where we're going is developing faithful followers, reaching our community, and multiplying the church. And from March all the way to May, we're doing emphasis on reaching our community. And one of the things we're doing, you see in the back back there, is our Reach 5 bucket and, and challenge back there. We're challenging everyone in the church to try and invite five people to church. Uh, you, you can't make them come, but you can invite them. Just say, hey, I'd love for you to come. And, and so many people will only come on Christmas and Easter. And so we have an opportunity next week where more people would come than not uh, if they were invited. And so I, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you have not partaken this, done this, whatever, if you have somebody in mind, you know right now, like, you know, I could invite them. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to go back there, get one of the ping pong balls as a sign of accountability, write their initials on it, and drop it in. If you have a couple people, drop it in just to hold yourself accountable saying, you know what, I'm going to invite these people. Uh, Next week, we are going to share the gospel, and we're going to talk about the resurrection and why that's important. And so it's a sermon that you want to invite your friends to and, and uh, family to, so take advantage of that. So, uh, again, it's back there in the back. Uh, please do that. Um, so we are continuing through our First Corinthians book. I was grateful to be able to be away last week. Me and my family uh, were out, uh, and Josiah filled the pulpit for me. And a couple of misnomers I have to clear up. First, I'm not as old as he made me out to be. Um, nor am I as gracious as he thinks I am uh, in, in that comment. But uh, I will say he did a great job handling the text, and so uh, I'm excited uh, to continue on. Uh, we've been working through the book 1 Corinthians, just the whole book as a whole, but, but there's certain themes that flow throughout the book. And so we've been breaking up in segments, if you will, of where Paul's talking about themes. And so we just got done where Paul was addressing a theme on, on marriage and singleness and divorce and a bunch of other aspects that come along with that. Well, he shifts gear and starting in chapter 8 and focuses on a different theme. He starts talking about our liberties, our freedoms. And, and so the focus is, is life and liberty. That sounds familiar. Hopefully it should because there's a certain well-known document that says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, And that is such a powerful truth and great thing that we live in a country that we can do that. But, but sometimes I'll say this, we, we allow our Americanism, if you will, to get in the way of our Christian calling. You see, see, God often frees us, but doesn't free us just to do whatever. He frees us to a certain purpose, a certain point. And sometimes we abuse that freedom and say, well, I can do whatever. You can't tell me what to do. And so Paul begins addressing that in chapter 8. Over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about that. We'll actually take a break next week for Easter and skip over to 1 Corinthians 15. In case you want to know, don't hold it against me. But, but, that, but that's what we're doing. So, so as we tee up what we're talking about today, I have to ask you this question. When it comes to your moral compass, how black and white are you? I mean, you got it sees or a lady that sees a lot in gray, or you that person that everything is black and white. There is a right and there is a wrong, and there's no in between. I mean, I mean, think about that for a second. Just process in your own life. How would you describe yourself? 
We'd like to think that all Christianity comes down to black and white, but the reality, let's be honest with ourselves, there, there are gray areas that we're like, well, how do we navigate these things, right? And often they split churches, they split people, they split families all over how you interpret these gray areas. Well, let's just do a little practice test real quick. I'm not going to ask you to do this person next to you because we want to keep the peace in this room. And, and so just you in your own heart of hearts speak to yourself on this. Now, would you say this falls on right or wrong, black or white here, uh, murder? I'm just going to help you real quick. If you, if you don't know, that, that's wrong, okay? Um, no, no question about it, right? That's pretty clear. That's wrong. But let's try another one. Let's, let's try another one. Uh, eating pork. Now, some of you might not like bacon. Shame on you. May God you know, help you with that. But, but in the Bible, in Acts, we see that God clearly tells uh, uh, Peter, like, hey, it's okay. You can do this. As we know, pork is okay. This, this is not an issue. Let's, let's try another one. Stealing. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, again, you know it's wrong. If not, we're going to be checking stuff before you leave on the way out. Here, let's, let's try one more. Let's try another one. What about being a, a Texas Longhorn fan? <laughs> now, listen. There might not be anything biblically wrong, but I can think of a lot of things I think wrong about that. But, we, but listen, there's grace for you too. No, no, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. Uh, let, let's, get, let's keep going. What, what about skipping church? That's a hard one. What do we do with that? Well, I don't know. There's not exactly a clear, clear statement. But at the same time, you do have in the Bibles in Hebrews 10.25, he says, let, let us not stop meeting together as some do and allow our hearts to be hardened. You, you clearly see in Scripture about God telling there to be a day set apart. What about, what about tattoos? I'm not making eye contact with anybody. I'm looking at my notes right now. Because <laughs> I get told all the time, you were looking at me. I'm not. I promise you I'm not. What, what about something that has uh, gone into our country or our state that we dealt with? What, what about the legalization of marijuana or, or, or weed? Drinking alcohol. Watching mature movies or TV shows or shows that are, are X-rated. What, what about, okay, let me, I need a protective shield up here for this one. Okay, what about mask in COVID? Ooh, yeah, thank you. You, you feel my pain with that one. I, I tell you that, and yes, I picked a little scab there because there's things we got to talk about. We have to acknowledge something. There are gray areas that Scripture does not clearly address, right? So what do we do with that? What do we do when we have gray areas in our Christian walks, when we have it in the church? How do we approach these things? Paul, today, in this text, is going to address these gray areas. He'll talk strictly to them. Now, now make this clear. I understand, because I don't want you to misunderstand. But like, Paul will give us a clear answer that everyone in the room will struggle with. We, we will find some way to complicate what his answer is. And it makes us say, he won't tell us if fill in the blank, whatever you were thinking of, gray area, is, is right or wrong. But, but he will tell us how to make the right decision on that. Hopefully I have you on the edge of your seat and you're interested about what does it say. Hopefully you're just captivated with what's going on. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read the entire of chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. So I hope you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, my version. Whatever version you have is okay, unless it's not a Bible, then that's not going to work so well. Uh, so let's read. It says, now, about food sacrificed to idols. We, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Like if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as that he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now, now about eating food sacrificed to idols, 
then we know that an idol is, is nothing in the world, and there is no God but one. For, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there, there is one God, the Father. All things are made from him, and we exist for him. And, and there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are made through him, and we exist through him. However, understand this, like not everyone has this knowledge some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, that their conscience being weak is defiled. Like, understand this. Food will not bring us close to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat, and we're no better if we do eat. But be careful of this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple... Won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the, the brother or sister whom Christ died for, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against your brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat. So it won't cause my brother or sister to fall. What is he talking about? He's talking about a specific issue, which he makes clear at the beginning, very beginning, uh, food offered idols. And as a matter of fact, the way he brings it up, it's clear. Paul is writing a response letter to the church of Corinth that wrote him a letter in the beginning. And they've asked him several things to this letter, like, how do we deal with this? Because they're seeing divides and splits and issues in the church. Paul, the whole marriage and singleness thing, he, he addressed that recently. Well, now he's shifting to a different topic that clearly they had asked him, and he uses it by transitioning. It says, now, let's talk about the question you asked him about food sacrifice to idols. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, well, back in this time, meat was often offered at pagan temples as a part of their worship, especially in Corinth, where they had so many other Greek gods that were being worshipped at that time. And so what would happen is people would come as an offering, as an act of worship to these pagan gods, would, would offer up meats or other things for sacrifice. And what happened, a portion of the meat was kind of split into three parts. A portion of the meat was laid on the altar and completely burned up as, as a worship ritual. Another person was eaten in the temple by the priests and prophetess that they had there. They would eat that. But, but a third person, portion that was used to support financially the temples going on would be sold in the marketplace. They would take this meat that had been sacrificed to and offered to this God, sell it in the marketplace. It would be mixed in with other clean meats. So if you go to the local Kroger store, you would have no idea which is clean and which is not. Or you'd have people eating in temples with these other people thinking, and imagine what's going on with them. And so it caused, and in this city, you'd have so many people looking at this saying, well, what is right or wrong here? Like, like, even back in this time, in pagan cities with, like, large populations like this, they would have Jewish markets just to make sure they had meats that were kosher, that were appropriate and correct. Paul's talking about this specific issue. It, it, make, make no mistake, it's a gray matter. So as we talk about meat, you can substitute that word with whatever else you think of a gray matter that we've addressed today and say, well, how's Paul talking about this? Understand that. And in the church, he's dealing with two extremist, complicated sides. On one side of the church are, are is, is a group that's focused on being legalistic, right? Isn't that the thing that just turns so many people off the church? You're just so rigid. You're so legalistic. You're so rigid. Where's the grace? Where's the gospel in what's going on? This group, in other words, in the church saw everything was black or white. There was no in-between. 
And they developed an exhaustive list on do's and don'ts. As a matter of fact, the Jews in the Old Testament had created 613 laws to be followed. And even more interpretation how to follow laws, all dwindling down back to the original ten God gave them the Ten Commandments. I mean, imagine how complicated it is just to do that. Many of us can't even drive the road down the road following the speed limit. Imagine having to follow all this sort of stuff, right? No judgment cast and no judgment given, right? You also had in the church another group that was more not just the legalism crew. They're the group that say, well, we have a license crew. Like, like we've been freed by the gospel. We've been freed by grace, so we, we can do whatever. That they would say this, that everything is acceptable as long as it's not for strictly forbidden scripture. So if the Bible does not clearly say, hey, listen, smoking weed is wrong, it, it, it's okay. It ultimately, in other words, for you, as long as your own conscience is free, you can do as you please because we have been freed by Christ. Can you see the issue going on? Can you see the divide going on in the room? Like, how do we handle stuff? Because scripture, scripture doesn't clearly tell us what to do in a situation. And Paul's answer, which we're going to unpack, is this. It's a big idea, if you will, of this text is this. Is that in gray matters, love for others is greater than my liberties. Loving other people is greater than the freedoms I think I have. Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. Paul starts in verse 1 through 3 just talking to them about the issue. Brings up, like, hey, let's, let's talk about this food sacrifice to idols. He goes, I know that we all have knowledge. He kind of like, listen, we know we're all smart. Back in this time of culture, man, they valued wisdom and knowledge. It was one of the things that if you had knowledge, you, you, were, you were enlightened, you were above, you were better. And Paul's like, listen, I know we all have knowledge, but don't miss out. He's like, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You might have knowledge about what you know is right or wrong, but understand, using that knowledge as a weapon is arrogance at its finest. You see, love actually builds up. It builds the church. It makes it stronger. It doesn't create divides. It doesn't tear down what's going on. He's like, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as he ought to. If you think you know everything, listen, hello, there's more to learn. We worship an infinite God and you're a finite being. Get out of your, your arrogance right there. You don't think you, you don't have it all together. Even more so, it says in verse 3, but it says, if anyone loves God, uh, he is known by him. Make no mistake, he's saying this, like some people get so fixated on doctrine, they neglect the relationship. You understand that? Let me make clear. Doctrine's important. What we understand, believe, and know about God is valuable and should not be dismissed. For people who do not care to study God's word or learn more about it and say, my relationship's good enough, li listen, you're not reading the Bible. Just telling you, that's not what it says. But for you to use this as a weapon to beat people down, to push your agenda, and not use it as to grow closer to God or build up the body, you, you're not reading the Bible. You're missing the message. That, that, that's what he's talking about there. And so he starts with his address in verse 4 through 6. He's, he, he's getting everyone like, listen, he's trying to humble everyone to listen to what he has to say. And then he starts his argument. So he kind of repeats himself in verse 4. He says, now, about eating food, sacrifice to idols. He, he starts, and he, his, thing, his point he's making is this. He said, we know there's nothing wrong with meat. Like, we can all agree that we know there, there's nothing wrong with meat in and of itself. Meat is amoral. It has no moral fixation to it. F food, there's nothing wrong with it. He's like, we know there's nothing to it. And even though it's food, there's nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong with what's ascribed to it is bad. Right? Like, if you took a piece of meat, people eat meat. But the problem was not the meat. It's what people associate the meat with. Let me illustrate this. My, my first church I served at, we used to take our kids on ski trips, and we went to um, Winter Park uh, uh, skiing and stuff like that. And, and one of the ski slopes they had on Winter Park was named Mary Jane. 
That was not on the ski slopes. And one of the girls that went bought this hoodie. It was in a pink hoodie. It was actually the pastor's granddaughter, which made it even more funny. And she bought this hoodie, and she took it home. She was all excited. And I remember talking to her. I'm like, are you sure you want to wear that? She's like, why? I said, do you know what Mary Jane stands for? And she goes, no. I'm like, well, it's a slang term for marijuana. And, and, and man, just more, like she was mortified. No, I just thought it was the name of a ski slope. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with the name Mary Jane, but it's what people associated with it. So we got the pastor's granddaughter walking into church with a Mary Jane hoodie, man. I love this church, man. It's like free, right? No, no the reality is there's nothing wrong with the name Mary Jane. There's nothing wrong with a hoodie. It's what's ascribed and associated with it that causes an issue, right? And this poor girl, mortified, we are able to get it all taken care of. Um, her pastor, grandfather didn't get fired. It was a good day. Paul's saying, listen, we know there's nothing wrong with me, but there's something wrong with what's ascribed to it. He's ultimately saying in here, and he kind of describes it, he says, meat offered to a fake God is no different than any other piece of meat. Why? Because we know that God's not real. That, 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 that God that they're worshiping, we, we know it does, it does not exist. It's fake. It's fake. It, it, it's not real. Except for the meaning attached to it. He's like, there's nothing wrong in it. We know that we worship the one true God. And so people say what we want. We know it's just a piece of meat. It, there's, there's, there's no God. But the problem is not everyone knows this. And in this particular case, he's talking about two, actually two different weak brothers. One is the Jewish audience, Jewish brothers and sisters of Christ, who grew up with this legalistic mindset and have such a problem of, of this embracing grace freedom. Like, no, we, we shouldn't do this sort of stuff. But you also have some who came out of this pagan lifestyle that's so used to sitting at the temple, worshiping the God, eating that meat, and now when they eat it, what happens? Their mind immediately gets triggered back to that thing saying, I'm so confused right now. And Paul's like, we've got to be worried about our weaker brothers and sisters of Christ here. Can you see why this might be an issue? Can you see the conflict at hand? I'll never forget why I went to Oklahoma Baptist University um, uh, and, and pursued a, a biblical studies degree. And one part of our biblical studies degree, one of our courses, we, we studied world religions. And so we studied all the different world religions. We actually had a, a Muslim priest, whatever, come and, and, and talk to us and share with us in class and dialogue, which was a cool experience. But one of our assignments for our class was we had to go visit a worship service for a different religion. And so most of the class opted to go to a Hindu temple. And so we went to a Hindu temple and went to it. And I remember certain people in our class having such a conflict of conscience about the situation. They're like, I, I, feel, I can't go in there. Like I'm, it's like I'm worshiping another god. And, and we were like, what god? It's, it's not real. Like we, we worship the one true god. And they had such a crisis. They had such a crisis of faith. Like, what do I do? Because I feel like if I'm walking in, I, I'm betraying, I'm being unfaithful to God. Like, this is what's going on here. Like, if I eat this meat, or if I see you eating this meat, like, there's, you're being unfaithful. There's something wrong here. And so Paul is just saying, listen, we, we know there's nothing wrong with meat in verse 4 through 6. And so in verse 7 through 8, he switches gear and he says, that not only do we know there's nothing wrong with meat, but we also know this, that meat does not make us better or worse as a Christian. If you eat this, it doesn't make you less of a Christian. If you eat it, it doesn't make you more of a Christian. It is, again, amoral. It has no affixation on your walk with God. There, there are things that people claim are wrong that the Bible does not clearly state one way or another whether it's right or wrong. But, but what do we do with those things? Well, let's take one that was a, a, a big, touchy, uh, tough, tough subject for me growing up uh, as a kid, a alcohol. Is it right or wrong to drink alcohol? 
Now, 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 growing up, we were, you drank alcohol, you're going to hell. I mean, that was just what it was, right? I read a lot of scripture. I couldn't find that passage anywhere in the Bible. I looked all over, and even as I read, I, I found other scripture that conflicted with it. I mean, you had Ephesians 5.18 where Paul says this. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. He didn't say don't drink wine. He said don't get drunk. We're like, well, maybe he, you know, maybe he was really trying to associate the whole thing. Well, then what do you do with 1 Timothy 5.23? He's talking to Timothy who's had stomach issues, and listen to what he says. Listen to what Dr. Paul ascribes to him. He says, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illness. Well, let's make no mistake. What was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water to wine, and it wasn't the cheap stuff. It was the good stuff, right? They get to the end of the party, and it was like, bro, you've been holding out on us, man. you got the good stuff here. And Jesus was like, whoop, whoop. Like, that's my interpretation in the original Greek. Now, before, before, before I get angry emails about this, let's just, I mean, let's just think through this right here. Listen, e- even though I-, I can tell you right now, no, nowhere in Scripture does it clearly state by you drinking alcohol, it's wrong. We, we, we all have to agree there are certain associations we just can't get past sometimes, right? I mean, for some people, no matter how much you see it, it just, you just can't get out of your mind like that. That's wrong. There's something wrong with that. And, I, and please, I'm not getting on topic about alcohol and this sort of, I'm just using an example. Let, let me use my own example for me. Gro- growing up, I grew up at Highland Hills Baptist Church off North Expressway and Council Road. We were faithful in going to church. You went Wednesday night, you went Sunday morning, you went Sunday evening. I mean, that, that was church service. I mean, that's what we did. My first church I served at, New Beginnings Church in Shawnee, I go there. We had church service Wednesday morning, Sunday morning, no Sunday night. Now, as a faithful traditional Baptist growing up, I was like, this is antichrist right here. <laughs> like, how, how, how can you call yourself Christians? You don't have Sunday night service. I remember just really struggling in my heart. This is not a church. You should have Sunday night church. Why aren't you having Sunday night church? And just really being bothered by this and looking at the scripture, like surely somewhere in here it says Sunday night church, thou heathens, or something to that nature. And I looked and I couldn't find it. And I remember Emily and I, sitting there wrestling through that, but even through that and the pastor talking to us about Sabbath rest and stuff like that, we found a different depth in our walk with God by Sunday nights being free up. We're listening, we found rest that we had not understood before. A new perception of God came in the picture. But make no mistake, there, there was this crisis of faith going on. And people on some of these topics I mentioned are struggling with it. Some of you, I know for a fact, some of you, not, not because I know you, but just because I know people. Some of you got triggered by some of the statements I said. And so Paul's like, we, we know there's nothing wrong with meat. And meat doesn't make us any better or worse. So what does he say? Verse 9 through 13. He, he gives us a thing. He says, but listen, ultimately if eating meat makes another stumble, I should not do it. If, if my freedoms, if I'm allowed to do this, but yet it causes someone else to stumble, it causes a crisis in faith, I, I shouldn't do it. Paul talks about, he says, listen, he says, we know this, but what? Not everyone has this knowledge. Some people can't get in mind that there are other real gods, and their God is the highest one. When we realize there are no other gods except our God, that they are struggling. They can't get past this level. And because of that, when they see you eat, listen, understand this. It causes a crisis of faith. They look at you and go, I'm not sure if they're a Christian I'm not sure if they're saved, or maybe I should do it. And they eat, sacrificing their own conscious beliefs. There's a conflict going on. 
It, it, it causes us to come to a point to ask ourselves this question. Do I love my freedom or others more? Well, I understand this. Listen, our calling is to sacrifice freedoms for the sake of the gospel, not exploit them for the sake of the gospel. There's a big difference. You, you are free in Christ, but it doesn't mean I get to expose it and say, you can't tell me what to do. You have no bearing on my life. Like, I don't care. It's your problem. And most of us read this, and, we, and that's the question that comes up. People ask, well, isn't this just their problem? Like, get over it, bro. This is your issue. And the answer ultimately is no. It's not just their problem. Paul makes it clear that this is our problem as well. For first, he makes it clear in verse 12 that this, it is the sin to cause another to stumble. What does he say? He says, when you sin like this against your brothers and your sisters' weak conscience, what does he say? You are sinning against Christ. Scripture has a lot to say about causing others to stumble. As a matter of fact, listen to Romans 14.20 says this. It says, do not tear down God's work because of food. Like everything is clean. But it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. Or take Jesus, if you want to quote the, the OG, or the original right there. Matthew 18, 6-7, Jesus said this. But whoever, my notes work, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it, it would be better for him if a heavy milestone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Like, woe to the world because of offense. For offenses will inevitably come, but woe to the person whom the offense comes. Woe to the person, like shame on the person that causes others to stumble. And so it's not, it's not just their problem, it's my problem, because if I cause another to sin, I'm not just saying it's them, I'm saying it's Christ. But here's the second thing to it. That not only is it wrong, but understand this, it's also your calling. It's also your calling. 1 Corinthians 9.22, which we will get to here in another Another week or two, Paul says this. He says, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. He's talking about the same people here. Make no mistake about it. I have become all things to all people. Why? So that I may by every possible means save some. I'm not called to exploit my freedoms. I'm called to save others. Christ saved me. And the only reason he hasn't removed me from the face of the earth is because I still have work to do. You're also called to build up the body. And anything that tears and destroys the body needs to be stopped. Romans 14, 19, listen to what Paul says. He says, so then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Like, don't confuse or misappropriate your American rights with your Christian calling. And I'm not trying to undermine the sacrifices that have been made for us to be able to do this today. Praise God we live in the country we do. Praise God for the lives of men. Praise God that we can do this without true uh, condemnation or retribution that comes with it. But, but don't abuse your Christian rights. Say, well, I, I'm an American. No, you are, you are a Christian and called to sacrifice for the sake of what, winning the lost. And we sometimes get those twisted. We get those twisted. So, so we hear all this, we might say, so, so it's a choice then to make. I have a choice to make on these situations. That's what Paul's saying. When, when I come to these gray areas, I ultimately have a choice to, to make. But Paul, I'm going to tell you what, he's saying, no, the, the choice has been made. It's not whether I should or shouldn't, like, do I want to or do I not want to. Paul is not giving them a choice, but clarifying the command. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? 
Paul because people are looking at it and going, there's no issue with meat. And Paul goes, you're right. There's no issue with the meat. That's not the issue. The issue is what the meat's causing. That's the big issue. That's why it's wrong. And some of us will still focus on the meat and go, well, I mean, it's my choice. I guess I can eat the meat. And Paul's saying, no, you shouldn't because look what it's doing. Don't do it. It's wrong. It's a sin. You should not do this. In case you're wondering, they actually made a ruling about this at the Jerusalem Council. In Acts chapter 15, 19 through 20, which believe, many believe took place two years before this letter was written, you had a whole group come together saying, what should we do? Because they want the Gentiles to get circumcised. They had all this other stuff, and, and they get up and they make this decision. And this is actually James, Jesus' brother speaks. He says this. He says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulty for those among Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled from blood. To give you context, he's asking for a compromise in the situation. Because what was going on, the Jewish people are wanting them to get circumcised. Paul's like, James like, listen, don't, don't add such rigorous stuff on these Gentile people. This is, that's ridiculous. But at the same time, listen, you Gentiles who are getting saved, I understand the issue eating this meat is causing, so you need to stop too. We need to care about both brothers and sisters on both sides of the aisle in Christ. That, that should be our focus. That should be our call. Paul is not simply helping them understand better why it's wrong. He, he's getting to the real issue. So, so let me just, can I get practical? Because I, I want you, if anything, to walk away with handlebars to ride with when you leave this place. Some of you guys might build a unicycle. I can't. I need a handle, okay? So let's get some handlebars. When we leave, what, what does this mean? How do I go about making, let me say it like this, the right decision in gray matters? First and foremost, understand this. Listen, don't reinterpret clearly stated commands. You don't, you don't need to complicate things that are clearly stated in Scripture. When the Bible says do not steal, guess what? You don't have to go, well, depends on the store. I mean, you know, there's some shady places I think God would, no, listen, you don't have to question that. When God says clearly in Scripture, the clearly stated commands, the clearly stated command is the command. Don't make that complicated. So when Scripture talks about these things, what does God say? And for many of us, it comes from ignorance of Scripture. We don't know what this book says. And we're just making it up as we go. And so when you have clearly stated commands, go with what it says. The second thing is this. Listen, in gray matters, when it's not clearly stated and it's gray, don't go against your conscience. When you come across scripture and it's not clear, man, the Bible doesn't tell me what to do when it comes to smoking marijuana. It doesn't tell me what to do when it comes to wearing a mask. I, I don't know what to do. What, what does your conscience say? What is your conscience telling you? And in other words, we have a calling to seek the Lord, seek his word, and be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling our heart. L- listen to what Romans 14, through 23 says. Paul would say this. He says, whatever you believe about these things, and he's talking about food sacrifice to idols and other things in, in Romans. He says, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he pr- approves. But whoever doubts, in other words, you're not sure, but you feel like it's wrong, stands condemned if he eats. Because if he is eating, it is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. He's another way saying, listen, you don't know, and you're like, I don't know what the Bible says. I, I, I feel kind of wrong, but I want to do it, so I'm going to do it anyways. I mean, it's a gray area, so, so God's going to bless. Listen, he's saying, listen, you're just kind of saying, I don't really don't care what God says. I really don't care what you have to say about it. 
I think of a situation my first church I served at had a, a 16-year-old kid who um, was wanting to get a tattoo. And, and, I'll, and I'll never forget him um, come talk to me, ask me what I thought about it. And I'd shared a story about I had when I was younger. I remember when I turned 18 years old, I thought I was an adult. And sat down with my parents because I respect them. Spent time reading the Bible and decided I want to get a tattoo. Told my parents, hey, I want to get a tattoo. Expected my mom to go off me and my dad to go, hey, whatever you want to do. My dad went first and, man, he chewed me up and down. He said over here, he'll probably remember that. He chewed me up and down. Man, I never got yelled at so hard in my life. And I was getting angry. I was so angry at that point. I'm like, I'm going to get a Snoopy tattoo just to spite of you. You know, like I just don't care. And he comes to the end. He's like, you know what kind of people get tattoos? I said, what kind of people get tattoos? He goes, certain kind of promiscuous women and pirates. And I go, pirates? He goes, hush your mouth. You know what I'm trying to say. He might have been right. I share that story with students uh, when I was teaching youth at my first church. And a kid that I heard wanted to get tattoos, and he came and asked me. And my rule was, I said, listen, you, you need to read the Bible and tell me what you believe, and I'll tell you what I believe, because I don't want you to just piggyback on me. So I said, you wrestle with it, we'll talk. But the very next Wednesday, he shows up. And I have kids all coming, hey, did you hear so-and-so got a tattoo? I'm like, he did. Oh, cool. So he came up to me. I'm like, hey, man, let me see it. And he shows me this, this feather he got on his arm. I'm like, that's, that's, that's really cool of him. He's like, yeah. And I said, so what, what did you decide what the Bible say? And his demeanor changed. And he started crying. And I went and sat down with him. I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, I, I don't know. I, I didn't look. I said, man, I'm not, I'm not telling you you're right or wrong. I said, but the fact we talked before and you had some guilt about it and you said, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyways, that's wrong. Man, man, you owe God the commitment to search it out. And so I challenged him, listen, you, you made a decision, that you, you make your bed, you got a line, but you need to go read what does the Bible say. And we wrestled and we talked about it. And the reality is so many of us do the same thing when it comes to gray matters. We really don't care. Can, can I say a good rule of thumb is this right here? When in doubt, don't. <laughs> Plain and simple. You know what the rule of thumb many of us live by? It's this one right here. It's one of these two. Either ask forgiveness rather than permission, right? Or, or, or the second one is this, is ignorance is bliss. If I just don't know... I can't be held accountable for it. And you might come to believe that, but I read a parable that Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats. And he starts separating those who are really of him and those who are not. And those who are of him, he tells them, listen, you cared about the least fortunate. You cared and did all these sort of things for me. Like, you understood me. Like, I knew you. Like, come in. The goat sits in and is like, listen, I never knew you. And they're like, what did we do wrong? Like, you didn't care for the orphans. You didn't care for the less needed. You didn't care for others like I asked you to do. And they said, we didn't know. Jesus doesn't take that as an answer. We have a calling commitment to find out. And so, so when it comes to making right decisions, don't, don't reinterpret clearly stated commands. In gray matters, don't go against your conscience. And the last thing I do is this. And here it is. Do what is best for others. Do what is best for others. Paul, Paul would say in Romans 14, 19 through 21, listen to what he says. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Like, do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It's a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. In other words, for you, you need to ask yourself, who is in my circle of influence in my life? And by indulging in this, what's it going to do to their faith? What's it going to do with their view on God? What's it going to do to my witness with them? 
It, it might be different for each person. You have to rest. In other words, you have to come ask yourself, what do they need versus what do I want? Can, can I just give you a quick flow chart on making decisions? It's plain and simple like this. It's right here. Number one, what does Jesus call or command me to do? If there's no clear answer, you get to go to the next one. Congratulations. Next one is this. What do others need me to do? And if you don't have a clear answer like that, it doesn't make a difference. Then guess what? What do I want to do? What do I feel called to do? The sad thing is many of us bump number three to number one. What do I want to do? Well, okay, well, what does God want me to do? And at the last of our list is others, and it almost never comes in the picture. Listen, get your flow chart right. What is God calling me to do? The reality is this. In great matters... Love for others should be greater than my liberties. How much I love the person sitting next to me or the people in my life, and man, what influence is this going to have? I should make that as a primacy of my decision versus what I want. Okay, can I just pick a Band-Aid a little more, a scab a little more? I, I saw this totally lost in COVID. Honest, mask, no mask. I, I'll be honest, I, I still don't know what was right. Just being honest, I don't know. But, but I know this. What I saw was people said, I do not care about you. I'm doing what I want. And complete empathy for other people was completely lost. And, and honestly, it may have looked different from person to person to person, what, what this should have looked like. But we, we just, the overarching thing is, it's their problem. Let them do, like, they, they got their own thing. The questions you have to rest yourself is this. Listen, what does God's word say about this? What, what should I do? What, what, what does my heart Tell me to do in this situation. Am, am I allowing scripture to change me or forcing it to validate my decisions? What, what effect would this have on those in my circle of influence? Would this cause another to stumble into sinful behavior or lose my witness to them? What, what kind of message would this send to those who look up to me in my position? Those I'm trying to win to Christ. Is this decision selfish or selfless, or here's one, would this damage the unity of the body? And can I just say, to every single one of those questions, if your answer is, I don't know, that is not acceptable. It's not. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's going to continue to get at as we talk the next several weeks when it comes to our freedoms. But, but listen, I, I'm begging you as a church, what, what are you doing in these gray areas? And some of you may have jumped full force into a gray area. And listen, you, you need to come and reevaluate that stuff in your life. You need to reevaluate and run through these filters and say, what, what do I do with this? What kind of influence, what kind of witness am I have? Is there a reason that people in my life, that no one is coming to Christ and the people I'm around? There's no gospel being heard. Why, why is that? What, what, what do you need to do with this stuff? S some of you are struggling right now with what is right or wrong. Listen, you, you need to really wrestle all the way through that. Don't just indulge, don't just say, well, I'm going to do it. Like, you really need to, you owe it to the Lord to wrestle through all that. Why? Because, because of the gospel. We owe it to God because of what he did. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, understand, like, God loves you so much that he saw us broken and lost in our sin. Like, we were in a broken state that I, we, you ever been trying to fix something and you just make things worse the more you try to fix? That that's the state we're in, like, the world is falling apart. We see it. And God didn't sit back and do nothing. He did something. He sent his one and only son to live a perfect life because me and you couldn't do it. He came to fix it because me and you couldn't do it. And he gave himself and died on the cross for our sins, paid a price that was meant for me, that was meant for you, and paid that so that I could have salvation, that I could receive forgiveness from God. 
And he resurrected so he could make a home for me. We'll talk more about that next week. Listen, that's why we're here and that's why we do what we do. That's why I can look at my rights, my freedoms, and go, it ain't worth it because the gospel's better. And if some of you can't do that, you may have to ask yourself, like, listen, has the gospel really come in my life? And today might be a day you need to respond to that. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Wherever you're, I'm going I'm to ask you to bow your heads and close your house, not because, close your eyes, not because it's a super spiritual moment, just so that you can just allow God to speak to you in a moment. So you're not looking around, you're not being distracted for a second. You're just saying, God, what are you wanting to tell me? What are you convicting me of right now? What are you calling me to? I'm going to ask some of my leaders that I've asked in the past to make themselves available. We've got elders to make themselves available for response. Maybe you need someone to pray for you for a decision. Maybe, maybe today you need to pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to receive this gospel I was telling you about. We want to help you with that. So I have leaders in the back standing. I have uh, elders in the front. You, you respond. So I'm going to pray for you and we're going to respond. Father God, I love you. And um, I, I know as I speak these words, I feel like a hypocrite because there's things in my life that I just simply want to do. I know they're not right or wrong, but I know what other people connect to those things I do. I got to pray you convict me because I, I know right now I feel a conviction that I need to elevate loving others over loving myself and loving my own desires. You got to pray others would have that same conviction in their life. I pray for those who are in the sound of my voice who are struggling with those gray areas. God, I pray they would not just indulge because they can, but they'd really seek after you because you will reveal it to us. But even more so, God, I pray for those in the sound of my voice that when I talk about the gospel, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I pray you'd stir in their heart today to respond and come and ask, what do I need to do to be saved? It's not about doing good stuff like we talked about today. We, we do this because of what you've done for us. And so, God, let us receive the truth of the gospel. And so, God, I love you and I praise you because I know you're working in hearts right now. But, God, let us follow through on those convictions. Respond, God. Help us just to respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd, you'd stand. We're going we're to worship. Um, worship is giving honor and praise to God. Worship is agreeing with God, too. You need to understand that. For some of you, your, your grants with God is, I, I need to make a decision. We've got Stephen D. Riley in the back. Would you guys wave your hands in the back back there? We've got Amber and Corey Whalen back here in the back. We'd love nothing more to pray with you. We've got Pete Sweeter, one of our elders, and I'll be up here as well. We would love to pray with you. You respond. So if you want to respond, you come forward. Let's worship together.